Uh, Don Braid says, I'm hearing it's likely Kenny will stay on as leader and premier until a, a new leadership election in which he may run. Voting in UCP no! caucus has apparently begun. <laughs> you piece of shit. Oh my god. In which he may run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's going to do the Joe Clark thing, but with 20% e- even less support. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it's Jacob Kenny from Speech from the Throne here with a supplemental episode 11.5 discussing the sudden resignation of Jason Kenny as leader of the United Conservative Party of Alberta and potentially, but not yet confirmed, as Premier of the province of Alberta. Yes, somehow, in the midst of a provincial election of my adopted home of Ontario, it's my hometown Alberta that still keeps calling back with the more interesting politics. Now, Jason Kenney had stated for months that he was looking to stay even if he won a slim majority. He kept saying that 50% plus one was all he needed. Yep, last night in a leadership review, he received 17.6 thousand votes to 16.6 thousand votes, 51.4% of votes cast. And that was not enough for him. He withdrew as leader of the United Conservative Party. So why was he willing to do that? Well... Liam McPherson is here with me to discuss that. And that's the first thing we'll talk about. Why was it that he felt he had to step down, even though he did narrowly surpass the threshold he had set beforehand? And next, we've been hearing very often in the last few hours, these bizarre hot takes where colonists are coming out of the woodworks claiming that, you know, although they've spent months, maybe even years attacking Jason Kenney, they secretly had a crush on the guy. That they think that, you know, this is a a terrible, terrible man, of course, but what's going to happen is even worse. He was holding back the true lunatics, and we should be proud at Jason Kenney's incredible organizing abilities to hold his party together. I'm going to fight back against that. I think an important and necessary debate is coming for the United Conservative Party, a debate that conservatives across the country need to pay attention to. And finally, in the final segment of this quick reaction podcast, we'll discuss what that debate should look like and the ways we as progressives hope that debate and the future of the United Conservative Party can move forward. So that's the opening spiel. Liam, let's start with the beginning. Jason Kenney said that he was only going to step down if he was defeated, if he lost 50% of review votes. He changed the leadership rules a few times in his favor so that he could get over that 50% mark, and yet he still stepped down with 51%. Why is it, in your opinion, that that he was willing to remove himself from the equation? Well, is he? The question is, is is he willing to remove himself from the uh, equation? Because I've been following the reporting from Don Braid at the Calgary Herald very closely. I've been been looking at his Twitter account, checking it all day. And as of recording, which is uh, 746 Atlantic on May the 19th that's when we're recording this um about an hour ago there was reports from don braid about a a caucus meeting that jason kenny's uh ucp united conservative party is having to talk about whether he resigns immediately and they replace him at that caucus meeting or whether they decide to let him stay on until a leadership election can be organized and apparently according to don braid he is floating the idea of running in the leadership contest. This is a man oh that God. will just not, and I don't mean literally here, folks, 
But this is a man that will just not die and move on and let you know he could have a lucrative career, career in the public, uh, sorry, yeah, in the private millions. sector. Uh, he could make millions in the oil in the oil industry if he wanted to get into that, into in consulting, uh, anything that he probably put his mind to. He's a smart mind, but not when it comes to knowing when to quit. I was actually quite surprised when I found out last night that he was intending to resign. I thought that was shocking. I thought he would try to barrel through as he always insisted he would if he got more than 50% of the vote. However, maybe he's trying to, maybe he thinks he's being strategically clever by waiting and, and potentially entering the leadership contest. I don't think that's clever at all. He's got a, a record low approval rating. Everybody wants to be rid of this guy, whether he's, whether they're further to the right, whether they're further to the left, everybody's tired of this guy. Um, yep. And I don't conceivably see how he manages to do anything but embarrass himself in a leadership contest. But you contest. think he would have announced that the night of like why did he let why did he let jason kenny resign be the be the headline you think if he was going to resign and then run in the leadership election he should have he should have said that the night of so that becomes a story leading out of the night like it seems like bad political decision making if he's going to hit us with that surprise blow this uh, well i got that but like that's it's like eh, like it just adds another dimension of what we're going to talk about today if he decides to stay on yeah my personal opinion is that when he was saying he only needed 50% plus one, Kenny was imagining a different scenario. He was imagining him getting 70%. He was imagining him getting 80%. A number that you know any other self-respecting leader would still take as a condemnation of his conduct and choose to resign, but a number that at least has the veneer of legitimacy, that gives him a fighting chance. And you know when we say his 51.4%, it sounds like a majority of the party. But the rebels in his party have also made accusations that he bought thousands of votes. There were 4,000 memberships that the rebels claim were purchased with only six credit cards. They made uh, and they, they made a formal complaint to the Alberta Elections Commission, and the Alberta Elections Commission is investigating. So if Jason Kenney won by only 1,000 votes, less than 1,000 votes, but he was willing to steal 4,000 of them, it's quite possible that, you know, Jason Kenney, he knows what he did. He knows the rules he broke. He he knows the true numbers. Maybe when he looks at the real math, he realizes he doesn't have 51%. He only has 40%. He only has 30%. He has bent every possible rule. He has all the advantages, and he, and he still can only get 17,000 numbers to appear for him. That's why I think he he stepped down because you know if he had if he had stayed around fifty one percent there's so many questions as to the legitimacy of that number the party would have split anyways the the rebels in his caucus would have left they would have formed a splinter party and that potentially could have forced a, a snap election which he was certain to lose this is the only way that he could that the party can still survive potentially with him winning a leadership contest overall i don't think that could possibly work but i think more likely is a new force people are floating rona ambrose people are floating maybe even stephen harper but a new force to come and unite the party now maybe we can talk about that lima whether you think that that's a, a good idea or i'll get your reaction to what i just said well I, I mean i have a lot to say on all of it i mean this is a guy we followed for jacob and i have followed for uh, t uh, 10 years at least like it's been a long time more yeah. for Jacob, I'm sure, but for me, at least 10 years, at least since he was a cabinet minister in the Harper government. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, he he had a choice. He People were, were wondering, is he going to run for federal conservative leader? Or is he going to go back to his home province? And, and he chose to go back to his home province. And 
I think people expected it to be a cakewalk, and at least it it was at first. You know, uh, Rachel Notley had been successfully demonized by Jason Kenney and the PCs, which then became the UCP when they merged with the Wild Rose Party. And, uh, I mean, everybody was expecting it to just be, you know, the big conservative Klein 2.0. That's reference to Ralph Klein, former premier. Big conservative Klein revolution 2.0, basically. And it wasn't. Uh, he almost immediately ran into uh, trouble when he would basically... I mean, one of his things was reaching into his populist bag of tricks and, and stoking fears against uh, the LGBTQ community, against you know, racial minorities, against you know pretty much anybody he could to mine votes from his base. But then, because at his heart, Jason Kenney is a serious, a relatively serious politician when it comes to governing, I'll give him that, in terms of like, you know, when it was a pandemic, he decided to, I mean, I think his measures were totally inadequate and also hyper-partisan because of his base, but he did... He, he made some effort to do things to the point where his base didn't like it, which wasn't very much. Like, I'm not saying he did a lot, but he did enough that he pissed off his base and they thought they were doing that he was doing too much by uh, implementing restrictions. That really hurt his standing within conservative circles. But oddly enough, it's, it's Rachel Notley leaving, I think, Albertans with some sort of buyer's remorse now that they're stuck with Kenny. I think they wish they, they had stuck with Notley and maybe Rachel Notley wasn't that bad after all. Maybe Kenny put those ideas in our head and we want her again. You know, it's looking very likely like the 23, I mean, 2023 election will be, I don't want to say a coronation for Rachel Notley, but she's looking pretty good. And um, it's still a year away. Lots can happen. It'll depend on their new leader and in large part and how they're able to define Rachel Notley or, 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 you know, go that route. But right now you've got Millions of extremely unhappy Albertans, both in the UCP base and outside of the base. Uh, I was actually having a lot of fun uh, being, I, I don't usually like to troll, but uh, <laughs> there was, there was, there's a UCP, there's like a UCP issues manager or something on Twitter, like com complaining oh about, like goodness. obviously pro-Kenny, pro complaining about like what a ma what massive political suicide they just committed by getting rid of Kenny. I'm like, are you well? Like... <laughs> He was gonna and, lose anyway. Uh, I just I think I made a snarky remark and or something, you know, got got the Duncan, you know, and and, and that's why Twitter's a shithole because it makes you do stuff like that. But <laughs> because I, of people like you. <laughs> but I also but I also don't I also don't feel bad <laughs> about this particular instance. Um but anyway, so I, I'm digressing a bit here, but all that to say it's gonna depend a lot on the leader and it's gonna depend a lot on this leader and whether he decides to run in in, in a leadership election. I don't know how he can possibly think that he would have a, a rat's chance in hell doing that uh now can the party unite which is the the greater point i want to get to i think it's getting tougher and tougher for conservative parties across canada to stay united and the reason i say that is um you know we've talked a lot in this podcast about the, the populist wave that's sweeping over canada and part of the consequences of that is yes progressive ideas are getting um blown up in the public sphere as being wokest and the word, the word, the term woke has become a very negative thing um, that can be applied to people, despite the fact that it only means that you just care about other people getting rights. Um, it's become a very negative thing. And that's had dire consequences for progressive ideals in the States and slowly in Canada. However, um, the other, I think unintended consequence uh, from this wave of right wing populism that's sweeping the country is the effect it has on conservatives who aren't willing to, go along with uh, what Bruce Anderson at Abacus Data calls, you know, the angry machine, the angry channel. Um, 
And the the what he means by the angry channel is basically like there there's a large spate of base of, of the base in conservative parties right now in Canada that are very angry. And like basically like the way that Bruce Anderson was describing it, and I agree a lot with his analysis on this. And by the way, you can check him out on Twitter. He's on Twitter, he's on Peter Mansbridge's podcast sometimes. Uh, he puts out polls through Abacus Data, uh, his polling firm, blah, blah, blah. But he and he's great. And his take was basically like <clears throat> conservatives, particularly in Canada, hate Justin Trudeau. That's a given. They hate him. They've, they've always hated him. It's always bordered on a rabid, foaming hate. And the conservatives fundraise off that. They send emails to their... And this is at every at every level where this sort, of, this sort of approach is applied. So I would say Ontario. I would say Alberta. I would say at the federal level. I would say probably New Brunswick. Like uh, conservative administrations that are more right-wing, um, they'll send emails like, Hey, Jacob, have you heard what Trudeau did? He's threatening our country. And like, you know, you get an email like that every week about how the prime minister's threatening our country and, and ru ruining this and ruining that. You're going to hate the man and you're going to give your money to the conservatives to defeat him. But after a time, especially when the conservative is too moderate, it gets to the point where Trudeau is still there. And they're wondering, why haven't you been able to do anything? We've had three elections now. How come we can't beat him? We should lurch further to the right. And you're not going further enough to the right. So therefore, you're not a true conservative. And, you know, it's the game that we're seeing played with Polyev versus Sheree. It's the game that we're seeing played with, uh, I guess, in a perverted sense, Kenny, who I wouldn't call a moderate, but he is in his party in some ways. Kenny versus the more Looney Tunes wings of his parties. And he and, and he's said in the past, you know, you need, uh, what, what did he say about the asylum uh, was the asylum you comment to stop the lunatics from running the asylum? Right, right. And there's some, you know, even though I think he's kind of a lunatic himself, there's truth to that. There, are, there, and Michelle Rempel Garner wrote a, a, an op-ed for the National Post recently about the Great White Replacement Theory, which is this. And I'm going to get into this because I think it's pertinent here and ties in. Um, the the White Replacement Theory is is as old as time. It's been around for a long time pre-internet pre-world war pre like we're talking hundreds of years this theory has been around at least it's the theory that countries or administrations or governments are trying to bring in or assist massive amounts of non-white immigrants to come into the country with the specific expressed political goal of replacing white people in positions of power and removing their sort of leverage uh when it comes to their political futures and their and their social futures and it's used, you know, it's it usually that's tied in with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about the World Economic Forum and how somehow the Jews are controlling the world. Like, it's just crazy. And, you know, the the, the shooter in Buffalo there had, was crazy into all of that. He, he was convinced that whites were being replaced, that the Democrats were replacing whites with illegal immigrants who would vote for them. And just like, just, just, just horse shit. And then he um, drove for two hours to find a black community so that he could kill 10, ten people. black people. And yeah. like, again, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to glorify the violence here. I'm just using that to, to illustrate like kind of the more radical parts of right wing extremism. And it's, it's, it's finding its place in Canada. There were people at the freedom convoy who sure showed up for a day and waved some signs and left, I'm sure. But then there were people uh, most of which we saw who chose to, to remain after the first day who ran around and even on the first day ran around with Nazi swastika symbols and, and fascist flags and QAnon that's, you know, QAnon's a fringe conspiracy group on the right and QAnon signs and where we go one, we go all is a QAnon slogan and uh, things about being the great replacement theory and the world economic forum. And like pretty much anything you could think of was, was on display there from the fringe sort of, 
and they love being called fringe, you know, they've sort of made that their brand. But like the reality is, is this, this fringe element, this growing influence of this fringe element in Canada's conservative movement is starting to make people that we thought were too conservative to begin with, like Jean Charest, like, uh, like, like Jason Kenney look like moderates because they can't get control of the lunatics in the asylum to, to paraphrase Kenny in. Uh, I, I, so I don't know. I don't know if somebody's going to be able to unite the UCP because I wonder if they just have too many crazies and unless they split back into the PCs and the wild rose, it's just never going to be viable for them to be united. <laughs> That's kind of how so I, I feel. <laughs> I think there's a big debate coming, a battle for the soul of the party that is at the heart of conservatism in Alberta. And I think that it's important for conservatives, if they want to stay united, to understand the difference between debates and compromises. A debate is where two sides meet, they hash it out, and then everyone agrees to settle with the winner, that they're all going to follow the winner of the argument, the winner of the war, the winner of the election, the winner of the contest gets to call the shots. A compromise is where two parties meet and they move in the middle. Now, the United Conservative Party is in a position where if they have a debate, they can stay united. If the party is willing to show and give equal platform to all of the craziest ideas, I still hope and believe that if ordinary United Conservative members see how far some of their members have fallen down the rabbit hole and just to what direction some of the conservatives in their movement want to push uh, that party that the majority will choose some level of sanity. That's my genuine hope. But if they're stuck in a world of compromises where they need to some, they, they think that they need to keep the far right element uh, into the party by throwing them bones, by uh, you know, giving them uh, policy alternatives, they're only going to feed this right wing and move it farther and farther. Because at the end of the day, we're approaching scenarios where there just is no acceptable compromise, where there is nothing that the moderates can give to the far right without losing support on a growing left, a growing progressive movement, even in Alberta, particularly in the cities in Calgary and Edmonton. If you look at something like lockdowns, you cannot, you cannot give a concession on lockdowns to the far right. You cannot give a concession on vaccine mandates to the far right because people in the cities will be afraid for their lives. Like it's not something where you can just, you can, you can move to the middle. And that's ultimately why Kenny was defeated was because it was impossible to triangulate all of these allegiances. But Alberta conservatives have a history of, ex of having these debates behind closed doors and being willing to uh, move in the general pro-business conservative direction, quietly tamping the social conservative side down because they know it scares away money. The PCs did it for 40 years. Ernest Manning did it for 20 years before that. Alberta conservatives have a 60-year history of being able to accomplish this, and I think it's possible. I think that this debate now is going to be nasty. We're going to see the, the absolute id of this movement but if someone is able, and it's going to have to be a fresh face, it can't be someone from Ottawa. It can't be another Jim Prentice. It can't be another Brian Jean. It can't be another Jason Kenney. It can't be someone who thinks they're better than the ordinary Albertans and doesn't understand Albertans talk. 
It's got to be someone that speaks in that radical reactionary language, that anti-woke language, but is still willing to put policies that make sense. That's something that Ralph Klein was able to do. He always spoke like a social conservative. He spoke like he was the most uh, degenerate Albertan you'd ever met in your life. And yet, you know, behind closed doors with businessmen, he was he was able to, to, to shake hands and, and, and do deals. And he was able to, to govern just like any run-of-the-mill conservative you, you've met. That's the type of personality that's going to bring these factions together. And I hope that if they're willing to have this debate, if the social conservatives, the, the, the crazier elements, the lunatics trying to run the asylum, see that they have legitimately lost this debate, Hopefully, because, because oil is going back, because jobs are coming back, uh, and because the NDP is such a great threat, they might be willing to go behind someone that, that feels culturally acceptable, even if he doesn't necessarily give him the red meat that they're going for. That's my hope. That's my yeah. hope. Yeah. I mean, it's all just one big question mark, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, right now, I mean, we were talking last, last well, could be last podcast for us it could be future podcast for the listeners i'm not sure which is going to come out first but the last episode we recorded before today was about the ontario election debate and you know doug ford right now is is quite a significant uh figure in ontario politics he's managed to sort of in in some sort of way bill davis's way to being trusted by a large number of ontarians at least enough to give him a shrug and a vote um not saying that's a good thing but he has and so However, you know, it, like I said, it's a big question mark across the country, and that includes Ontario, where two new fringe right-wing parties have popped up. There's the Ontario Party and New and New Blue, which was started by um, former PC MPP Belinda. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Kaharlios. So she was an MPP that was in Doug Ford's caucus, and she was booted because she voted against COVID nineteen measures, and so she started one with her husband and then like because her husband's also an ex mpp or something and then of course i think it was i think it was derek sloan that started the other one it's just like come on man yeah yeah it is Eric. it is so, derek sloan that has the other and, one. and and they'll get they i mean <clears throat> i'm not saying they'll they'll show up to queen's park with 20 new mpps i'm just saying that they you know slowly but surely they'll they'll there will be people who will tire of doug ford's style of governing which is in an ontario context similar to kenny's in that he 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 isn't really running a fiscally conservative budget. He's spending billions, just not on the right things. But anyway, he's like he's just. It's hard. It's it's getting hard for some fiscal hawks in his caucus to think that he's fiscally conservative. It's getting hard for yeah. social conservatives in his caucus to believe he cares about them at all, and that anger is red hot right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those votes and more and more of those votes go the way of the new blue and Ontario party. Um, and, and I think it will become a factor in probably some of the closer races where maybe two or 3000 people in a riding vote for this party, like they did for PPC in the federal election. And they never had a shot in hell of winning, but it was just enough taken away from the, the Tories for the liberals or someone else to come through. Like, I do think it will make a difference in some riding races, particularly as Doug Ford gets more unpopular. Uh, and I think we're going to start seeing this. I mean, I'm Nova Scotia. I'm embarrassed. I don't think there's a PPC coffee party here yet. I know that there is in New Brunswick. There's New Brunswick that even is older than the PPC. Yeah, they've been around for a little while, um, and they've kind of gained notoriety because of the current political climate. But uh, if there isn't one in Nova Scotia, there will be one in Nova Scotia. You're going to see these further right-wing fringe parties popping up in 
several different provinces provinces you know you've got the quebec conservative party that was basically irrelevant before like a year ago or even six months ago is now soaring up the polls because a lot of fed up conservatives who don't feel like Legault or ford or kenny is conservative enough are looking for places to park their votes and i think it, it's almost like i wish i i wish i could have said to conservatives you reap what you sow you know, so I'll say it now, you reap what you sow, to be honest. Yes, it's an unintended consequence of them stoking populist flame, but, uh, it, you know, it's also it's also a devastating thing for our country if, as more of these ideas become mainstream. Yeah, like, I'm not necessarily so certain that if you unleash the, the fire of populism, you're necessarily going to be burnt by it. I think we have a lot of, particularly in the Prairie Provinces, a history of populist leaders who've been able to ride it to to victory. Yeah, um, not everybody gets yeah, hurt like, by um, it. Uh, Tommy Douglas, I think, is the most classic example of a populist who was able to, to ride that wave into huge success. And there are lots of uh, lead, like almost you could almost make an argument that every single leader uh, that, that served more than two terms in, as premier of Alberta or Saskatchewan was in some sense a, a populist. Like, I, I think probably just because of where I'm from politically, I'm more willing to accept that part. For me, if a, if a populist party is only nipping at the heels of a larger conservative party it's a it's a place for the conservative party to park its extremists to park its lunatics let them uh, air their grievances yell and scream and you know bash a car but it doesn't really make it a huge um problem to them elect electorally like the the pcs were able to to survive in alberta for several election cycles with the wild rose you know, constantly chipping at them. It is it is a possibility that you you can make it work, particularly in Alberta where there's always oil that you can use to bribe uh, your citizens, basically, uh, to keep on the pro-business side. I think that Alberta is probably unique in that scenario, but I do think there is something to be said about having a place for people to vent their reactionary ideas that isn't the the main conservative party when you're having these debates inside the the true conservative party that's where um the discussion becomes a little more dangerous because they're the ones that can actually implement <laughs> well that's yeah, why this exactly. is so scary because i think we're seeing sort of two approaches where <clears throat> the ideas get mainstreamed and brought in yeah to the, yeah. the normal and, party and, policy and like white replacement that you said like uh, that is a they were they were like National Post columnists who were who were making columns about white replacement theory in 2017. Like it's it's become mainstream very. Quickly. It is, and now I mean, finally, thank God, maybe it's too late, but finally you've got some MPs. Uh, the fact that you've got some MPs standing up against it is great to see. It's great to see Rempel Garner taking responsibility for her role and perpetuating, you know, the 20 some of the fail, failures of the 2015 campaign. Uh, there were some of the racist promises there. It's it's great to see her speaking out about the the white replacement theory but it's it's definitely like this is a party that is having a civil war this is the most infighting that we've seen in the conservative movement maybe in decades like it's 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 been it's pretty brutal and it reminds me of how the liberals were it's starting to remind me of how the liberals were because there's just so much backstabbing and ugliness and there's sensible who, who i would call sensible conservatives who know what it takes to get elected and then there's conservatives that are sort of incrementally trying to mainstream controversial ideas. So I would say um, Pierre Polyev is one that's maybe somewhere. He's somewhere in the middle of a, of a sensible conservative and maybe a Trump 
and then you've got people who are lunatics, like the Trump types, who are just complete lunatics, and they know they have no, um, they have no political education whatsoever, no idea how the system works. All they know is they're angry and they want something done right away. Uh, and it's tearing at the seams of the federal conservative party. Uh, you know, Pierre Polyev is purposefully and willingly running a, quite an aggressive campaign that has ruffled a lot of feathers. Ed Fast resigned as the uh, their finance critic today because he was accused of uh, being biased by pro-Polyev MPs for saying how ridiculous it was that he wanted to fire the governor of the Bank of Canada. And he and he was publicly saying like this is he he was saying like when he went into the caucus meeting that. You know, this is the kind of stuff that hurts our reputation as a party of supposed fiscal responsibility when we start going out and trying to mainstream ridiculous ideas like let's just impulsively fire the, the governor of the Bank of Canada because of some arbitrary thing we made up for fun. Like, and he was, as the party's finance critic, he's like, I need to sound coherent on this. And like, I, I, I will not defend this policy. So he basically resigned. <laughs> Because of pressure from pro-Polyev MPs who thought it was making Polyev look bad. It's like, what? Because he was he didn't want to jump in line. And, and so it's just, you know, this is the civil war that's playing out. And I think it's a it's a civil war that needs to be had, but that the results uh, need to be respected. I do think that at the end of the day, probably there is going to be enough uh, sane Tories to to take back leadership, probably not of the of the of the federal party. Probably they'll have to lose a few times before the the sane people will will take back that party. But it's certainly, I think, pro- provincially, the United Conservatives there there should be enough people there. And I don't say necessarily because there's a there's a lot of moderates in the UCP, but I think it's actually because there's more radicals in the UCP and they're more willing to make themselves known uh, that it's going to scare. Uh, enough people to uh, to tilt the, the party back into the mainstream. I think the conservatives nationally are still willing to have the debate in dog whistles and in euphemisms. They're not willing to to say exactly what they mean, except for Leslie Lewis, who who goes all the way to say that she's pro-life. I think in the Alberta conservative uh, leadership debate, we're certainly going to have a lot of people that are inequivocally pro-life. There might be even someone that says that they want to use uh, the notwithstanding clause to re-legalize abortion in Alberta. You, that that honestly could be a, a real position that we hear in the UCP debate. There could be someone that says that they want to ban gay marriage again. We don't know. I'm almost certain it's going to be there. Oh, it's going to be someone that's going to push it way too far. And it's going to be, I think it can be the triggering event that, that can actually uh, galvanize a moderate conservative base that just hasn't existed for a long time. Or who knows? Maybe I'm totally wrong, and that can be the that can be the policy that galvanizes a, a dormant, ultra conservative base that takes over that party and, and and drifts it to the real far right. But in in that case, I think that's when it becomes a rallying cry for progressives, and it becomes a a way for Notley to pave a supermajority. So there's a there is a positive that can come out of it, but we as progressives need to be aware of. Of what's happening we need to prepare for the worst yeah um and we need to be able to have uh credible electoral strategies to to combat this to to nip this in the bud we can't have sleeper elections like we're having in ontario because these conservative parties if we if we let them into office even if they have a, a bumbling seemingly centrist fool like doug ford at the top of them you never know how far they're going to 
to topple over. And Jason Kenny tried to pretend to be moderate, and he opened up a Pandora's box that can lead who knows how far. We can't accept this party no matter what face it puts on, and we as progressives need to, to fight back against it. Well, we it. do, and I I got to be honest, I, I'm, you know, one side of me is having a little bit of trouble uh, not breaking out the champagne because I know that this could easily go the other way and everything could get more terrible than it's ever, than it ever has been. And I do recognize that a big part in Jason Kenney's demise is the fringe far right and some of the horrible, the spread of some of the horrible, horrible things that the shooter, the Buffalo shooter had in his manifesto. That's the horrific part. What want, what makes me want to break up the champagne per se is like the fact that somebody like Rachel Notley has an opening to introduce serious progressive policy in a province that, that you know, before the 2010s, it was completely unheard of to be a place that was welcoming for that. And it's turning into that. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. I, I wish her well, and I'm, I'm excited at what she might get done if she gets back in. But again, anything could happen. Elections matter, both leadership and general. And I think, uh, do you have anything else to add? I think we... we... No, I'd say that's, that's about it for me. Um, I said, I hope this can be a turning point. I hope this can be the, the absolute nadir of our fortunes from which we can rise up greater than ever before. Uh, let's not let this be the, the moment of descent into ever further depths. This this can be a good moment. This can be a good moment for the province. Let's move forward. Well said. Let's make it a let's make it a positive for Alberta. Let's make it a positive for Canada. Let's get back on track with caring for people, with looking after one another. Again. And now because the Davos Forum did sponsor this podcast and they're control they're in control of everything, we have to say that this is all part of the We're great reset. Uh, we faked COVID and we faked this leadership review and now we're going to put in a, a, a new puppet that's, that's closer to the, the World Economic Forum that uh, is going to replace all white people in And with that, we hope that you enjoyed our bonus episode, particularly the, particularly the ending. Uh, and we, we hope that you don't turn your... Uh, turn yourselves away from us that you keep listening to our craziness uh, because we appreciate having you along for the ride as we navigate this BS together. Yeah. Uh, so keep your ear to the ground and take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time. Absolutely. See ya.